Tony Lewis popping in for a brief chat on the subject of England's cricket tour of Australia a little later in the programme, but I'm very pleased to say that joining me now on the other side of the desk is Mike Rutherford. Mike, good evening to you. Good evening. You look very well. I gather you've had a bit of a holiday. Yeah, I've had a quick uh, week in the sun. I'm now back to good old England. <laughs> it's not as cold as normal, actually, I must say. Last time you and I spoke, you very kindly, um, in the middle of rehearsals, I think, down at Hammersmith, got on the phone to tell me about that uh, big gig you did up at the bowl at Milton Keynes, which brought, of course, Peter back into the lineup, and it brought Steve Hackett as well. Although I remember you were super cagey, actually, because I knew that Steve was going to do it, and you wouldn't give in, would you? Oh, lovely. Was that why I was being all moody? And saying, <laughs> you oh, were, I'm yes. not sure. <laughs> I think maybe we hadn't, we hadn't actually rehearsed with Steve or something in that way, or mm. I, I can't remember. It's awful when you announce something that doesn't happen. It was an historic uh, occasion, spoiled only by the elements. Yep, rained all day long, but somehow it didn't seem to spoil... It didn't spoil the atmosphere. It was the most fantastic atmosphere. Were you all nervous? Yeah, not particularly. I mean, a bit nervous is because it was all stuff I couldn't remember. You know, none of us could, but we, we'd, we'd rehearsed, hopefully, enough. Um, no, what was good about it was it, it was such a sort of um, unusual occasion. And it was, it was a one-off thing, right? So you didn't sort of... It wasn't like you were going to rehearse for the next night and the next night. as originally been suggested. We just... Um, it was like an event which probably won't be repeated. Mm. And we just actually just sat back and enjoyed it. I think everyone enjoyed it. I mean, in many ways, it's sad, but it came about because of the fact that Peter had got involved yes, I, in that yes, huge yes, festival. Yes, I agree, actually. But I think somehow it never would have happened otherwise. Somehow, I, I've got a sort of fear of reunion gigs because it normally suggests um, the people involved haven't got anything better to do. Mm. But in fact, having done this one, maybe in uh, the last time we played with Pete was seven years ago, so maybe in seven years' time. Oh, <laughs> what a concept. Uh, <laughs> I'm not in a hurry to have another one, but it's still... Uh, I really enjoyed it, I must say. We all did. That's good to know. Was it easy to do? I mean, when you actually sat and thought about it before it all happened, did you sort of have tremors and think, oh, I don't know, maybe... Yeah, it was very easy. We were in America at the time, right, and we'd heard about Pete and the problems of the WOMAD, so we thought we'd like to help out. And it's very easy to say, yeah, we'll do it, you know, and a couple of phone calls, and it was all fixed up, and they booked Milton Keynes, and then it was a bit like, what are we going to play? Mm. And we couldn't work out whether to play a bit of Genesis recently and then a bit of Pete and then do a set together. And we decided, as it was a reunion gig, it would be nice to actually do all old stuff. They're coming to see Genesis, the old Genesis, together. So it was playing all the old stuff. Mm. And it was probably easier for us because we'd been doing some of those songs more recently than Pete had. Mm. I yeah. mean, when, when Pete had left, Mike, you were at probably your most complicated stage theatrically because it was sort of around the Lamb Lies Down on Broadway era. I remember coming to see that show in Liverpool and thinking, crumbs, it, what, what's going to happen next? I mean, which is a, a good thing to say about any show. But it was very, sure, very actually. complicated. Sure, I mean, if Pete had stayed, I don't know where we'd have gone. We'd probably have gone simpler, actually, like the way we did. But to get, it would have been, we were getting very theatrical, I agree. That was a high point as mm. far as presentation was yes, concerned. Yes, I think so. I think so, but, definitely. But you, you don't feel that if history had changed its course and he had stayed, that you would have wanted to carry on? You, you would have wanted to, to... I think we possibly all would have gone in... We, we may have gone backwards and forwards between doing sort of theatrical productions and fairly straight ones. Mm. I mean, Pete's gone much straighter, and as we have, I think. It was an era, and it sort of went with the music in those days when everything was a bit more fantasy and that sort of thing. And I think the music from both us and Pete now is a lot more direct and sort of harder-aged. Got to be very careful how I put this. You talk about going straighter and straighter. It has to be said that Mr. Collins, currently residing at the top of the pop charts, has gone just you about as straight, can, as straight can be with a 60s hit from Motown. I know. Well, I, What are your feelings? I think it's great. We're all... Uh, I mean, I'm a real Motown fan. I think people are often surprised to hear that all three of Genesis are big Motown fans. Hmm. Um, I think it sounds very good. I, I didn't think it would do as well in England. I thought it would be a really big hit in America. But I suppose also, if you think why do you, about why it... Why do you say that? That's an interesting comment. Well, in England, they haven't got quite a big, sort of, such a big history with Tamla mm. as America has. And, but then it works the other way, I think, because a lot of the kids, the young kids, haven't heard it before. Mm. 
And so it, to them, it's, just, it's still a good song. And it's a new song, so they like it. Video's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, video's great. He was dying to do his John Belushi bit, actually. We've been building up to this, right? The dark glasses in the suit. <laughs> Having watched, um, what was the latest uh, Blues Brothers film? Yes, that's About right. eight times in the coach, you know. Mm. Um, we left him in the front. We went to the back on the last English tour. So I knew it was coming out soon. Got to be careful how I say this, but I mean, the more success he has as a solo artist, the more questions are asked. I watched his interview with Paul Gambaccini on Channel 4, I turned up very quickly so you couldn't hear it. Um, and he came out with a rather worrying statement at the end of it, where he said, you know, that um, I'm in a present situation of feeling that I want to do what I want to do. Do you and Tony feel like that as well at the present moment? Yes, funny, I, I, I taped it because I was out at the time and I watched it. And it's, um, people always panic when someone goes off, when people go off and do their own thing. Hmm. Uh, especially Phil being incredibly successful. But everything you said is actually all things that I've said myself, and it's not actually new. Um, I remember I, I, he ended up with a line um, which I've said many times, actually, and it's always true. Uh, we make the next album, and if we like it, we like it. If we don't, we spit up. And I, people find it hard to realize that every year, I know I do, I kind of reevaluate re or, or have another careful think about Genesis if it's still working. And so far, it's still... I think very much alive, but the questions that uh, he was sort of putting are actually there all the time. There must I be think. a tremendous amount of artistic pent-up emotion when you actually get back together again and sit there and look at the pieces which hopefully are going to make up the whole for the future. What a mouthful that it's is. You know, what I mean? you know what I mean? I do. It's nice though because I, I think when we make the new album, always, always in the past, we haven't actually been pressured by what's happened before. Hmm. So you don't look backwards, you just look forward. Yeah, otherwise, if you look backwards, you panic, I think. Because the last album, normally, is, you've liked it, and it, you did something new, and it's done well. And you want to do the same thing again. And so far, we always have. And I think as long as we do, we'll keep going. But when we stop doing something new and exciting for us, we'll knock it on the head. America has been very good to you, hasn't it, over the last few years? I mean, yeah. there's been big hit singles and what have you. Do you like touring America? Do you like it as a country? I do. Uh, as, as a live band in America, it's, it's, it's good for most, most places, but America especially. I think in America, what's different to the rest of the world is that we've been of a certain sort of popularity in England and Europe for quite a few years. In America, especially being such a big country, we're just breaking through in, in, in certain areas, which we, we've never done before. And so it's like any country, the first time you suddenly start to get really popular, there's a kind of enthusiasm which... It's never there again. I mean, it, you build up and it, it stays. But that first time you sort of play a town or do something, and it, it suddenly gets really popular. Um, and that's still happening in America. Must be frustrating. I mean, it's very odd to have totally conquered your own home country and go to somewhere, admittedly, as, as vast as America, and find that in certain areas, certain states, right. it's not happening. I know. Well, but at the same time, I think it's, it's very good, because otherwise you end up running out of areas to sort of have this, you know, the challenge with, so to speak. Mm. Um, I like it, in fact. You've got favourite ports of call in the States as far as gigs are concerned? Yeah, the northeast has always been the the, uh, the bits that aren't particularly pretty. The Clevelands, the Buffaloes, um, Chicago has always been very good for us. But just recently, we seem to be... Uh, we played Phoenix last year, having not played there for years, and had an amazing show. We've kind of gone across the board, I think, now. Do you find people travel to see you over there? I mean, obviously, in this country, a Genesis fan who lives, let's say, in Sheffield doesn't mind travelling down to Southampton because it's worth it and it isn't that far. Yeah, right. But a New Yorker who's Genesis mad, who decides that he's got to see you in Los Angeles, has got problems on his hands, really, hasn't he? 
Yeah, they, they, they don't travel as much, but you do have these awful things when you're playing in Los Angeles and this fan arrives and after the show he says, I come all the way from New York to see you. And you dare tell him you're going to be there in a couple of weeks' time. <laughs> so I just say, oh, great, fantastic, you know, and keep quiet. Five to nine, Mike Rutherford with me in the studio. Let's have some music from Genesis. Genesis, and your own special way, written by the gentleman who sat in front of me at the moment, Mike Rutherford. And you can actually remember when you wrote that, can you? Yes, I, one of the few songs I can remember. I wrote it, we did a Brazilian tour, and we'd been saying for years, we're coming to Brazil, we're coming to Brazil, and we never did. And so we actually finally went down once after an American tour to say, we are coming, you know, that we come this far, we're not playing, but we're coming back next time. Yeah. And while we were staying in hotels, doing a bit of sort of press and PR, I wrote it um, by, what's that, Copacabana. Copacabana. Beach, yes, which is a bit grubby, actually, <laughs> contrary to popular belief. It's a favourite question of interviewers when they talk to people who write music. But I mean, you've thrown that away. I don't blame you either because you write a lot of songs. But you make it sound very easy to somebody that doesn't understand it. It's a process which is, I suppose, best kept in privacy <clears throat> part of the time. But I mean, do, do you just sort of pick things up, ideas, musical ideas, hum tunes? I mean, yes. I mean, if there was a secret, I'd. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad to tell everybody, but it's not. It's, it's just. I basically I mess around at home, and, and uh, things come or things don't. Mm. What I do find recently is that if I go in to write in the morning today, you know, I say today I write, I create. You know, I do great things. Kiss of death, nothing happens. It's like Robert Carey there with the hands. Exactly. Going. Sorry, I'm mean, my hands <laughs> throwing around. If I actually happen to be passing, I got ten minutes before we go out. Suddenly, all the ideas come. So when you when you don't try, I find the best things happen. I mean, I, I, I tried it mucking about at home, and I always found that I come back to the same thing. Do you find yourself subconsciously coming back to ideas that you've used before and thinking, no, I can't do that, I've got to get away from it? Possibly. Not, not a lot, actually, I don't think so, because it's sort of... Well, maybe I do, but I kind of straight away I veer away. I, I normally... Normally it's like little new boxes or sounds or just a couple of new chords excite you and take you away somewhere else. Mm. You're writing at the moment for the forthcoming mm. Genesis project. Yeah. How, wh how does that sort of set itself up when you and Tony and Phil get back together again? In fact, what happens now, it's a bit different actually. Now that we all lose a lot more outside the band, um, I'm writing for like Genesis, I'm writing for me and maybe some other people this time. We actually do much less, we do much more writing together in the studio rather than arrive and like, you know, a lot of songs from him, him, and him. Um, we tend to actually produce much less material, which I think is much better. Therefore, we, we, we just jam around and try and create most of it while we're in the studio. Hmm. And in fact, this time, for the first time, we're going to actually... Uh, uh, we built this studio, which we have done in Surrey, which we're going to actually record it in the studio or write it in the studio. The last album we tried to, Abacab, but it was still being built. So we wrote the album and then we recorded it. This time around, we're going to set up in the studio and start writing. So hopefully, for once, we can capture that. Um, there's still a moment we've missed when the first time you write something, you come across a new bit, is a kind of magical moment. I mean, very often you develop it, sometimes better, sometimes not. But that one moment when you first find it has a certain sort of magic that we've never yet captured on tape because that's, in, that's been in the writing stage mm. and not the studio. So this time round, we're going to actually write in the studio and try and capture some of that. You naturally make it sound very easy because it's part of your craft, but it still baffles me. One day I'll get somebody to explain songwriting in short, sharp Just terms. <laughs>
<laughs> Luck, actually, probably. Yeah, right. Um, lots to talk about, notably the fact that I was told during the week that your old uh, guitar partner, Steve Hackett, is doing a charity concert a week tonight at Guildford Civic Hall. It's in aid of a tablet children's hospital, which is a mighty fine idea. And very nice. I'd, I'm going to try uh, and get down there if I can. Hmm. Well, if you're listening in tonight and you live in the Guildford area, you're willing to travel for a very good cause, I know Steve would be pleased to see you, and that's at Guildford Civic Hall a week tonight in aid of the Tamworth Children's Hospital. Lovely idea. So we talked about you, we talked about Steve, we talked about Peter, we talked about Phil. What about Tony? What's he doing? Tony. Tony's actually right at this moment, just finishing off a solo album, and as well, um, which he's sung on for the first time. It's catching this thing he's done. <laughs> and also he's done the soundtrack to the new film, it's a Michael Winner film, called The Wicked Lady. I think what happened was, actually, he was trying to get a film together, and he couldn't find anything he liked, so he thought, well, sod it, I'll do it. I'll do the, you know, I'll do a solo album on my own. And then just as he started that, this film came out, which he liked. So it was like, oh, God, what do I do? So he ended up doing both. He's been fairly busy, I think. Film soundtracks are very interesting things, aren't they? I mean, you don't really pay much heed to them when they come out on plastic. And yet, when you go to the cinema, if they switch them off, everything just wouldn't be there, would it? I know. I think, actually, it does depend on directors. Some directors really use music. They're very conscious of the fact that some bits can be very enhanced by the right kind of music. And some directors, it's very much, you know, the very last thing they do is, Christ, no music, and they rush out and get things together. But it's little nuances. It's not necessarily the sloppy stuff. I mean, if we quote the, the most recent example, I suppose, John Williams has just walked off with a few Grammys for the soundtrack of E.T. Brilliant. I mean, he's done all these films, and he scores beautifully and writes fabulous music. You automatically think of film music as being emotive, the sort of music that makes you weep, but the other stuff's just as important. Yes, yes I know. That I, that I would find hard, actually, because that's sort of... It's almost a technical exercise. Mm. You know, it's like the other bits. The party scene, the whatever, you know. Makes a very pleasant change having you in here on a Friday night because you've probably been told that this sort of delves into the world of sport. Do you have any interest in sport at all? God, on the way down the corridor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, suddenly it was like, well, what sport do you like? And I said, well, I'm not the world's... Uh, I, I, I play tennis and I ride quite a lot, mm. but I don't really follow your football. And cr I, cr I play cricket once a year at a fantastic... Uh, it's the Wisbury in the local village charity match they have each year. And that's... Um, that's my cricket. What's your average, do you know? In fact, it's fantastic. It's a good story. Because what happened was this last year, right? I mean, they're all really keen amateur players. And um, uh, I went in and I went, it's like a limited overs. And I went into bat near the end. I had two overs to go. And I only faced about five balls and I got two sixes and a four. <laughs> and, and so, you know, a team went out and, and everyone thought, God, he's a brilliant batsman, but underused. <laughs> and the same happened with the bowling. I'm a bit better, but bowling's a bit better. Is it? I went in... Um, I, I only had about two hours at the end, and the first ball got someone who, one of their star players, had scored about 75 out. And I didn't do badly for the rest of the rest of the two hours. So they, I went away, and they all thought, God, he's absolutely, you know, brilliant, but underused. <laughs> so I never dare play again after this. But you don't watch sport. I mean, you, you you don't land up watching match of the day or the cricket or what have you. No, I was, you know, the other day, I was talking to someone, and I was trying to work out why. Nearly all my friends are very keen on football or cricket. And I have a theory, which I think is actually true. In the days when people are kind of in their teens, come the weekend on Saturday, they'd normally watch something on the telly or go and see the match. I was always gigging. Mm. Like weekends were always up the motorway and back. And Monday was a free day and there wasn't much sport on the telly. Because, mm. of course, Phil is a, a very open uh, football fan, isn't he? QPR, isn't QPR he? QPR supporter, yeah. I think Tony is too, actually. Is he? But he was Brighton, but then he kind of sidled over to QPR, I think. <laughs> QPR sort of became, you know, popular. Bit of influence going on there.